Hello everyone, and welcome to Myth in the Mojave, a weekly half hour of storytelling and conversation about mythology and why it's important to our lives today. I'm your personal mythologist, Catherine Svela. I live in Joshua Tree, and I'm pleased to bring this program to the high desert and beyond here on Radio Free Joshua Tree. Last weekend, was the first annual Synchronicity Matter and Psyche Symposium here in Joshua Tree. It was a very interesting and rich event. And um, I was interviewing over the course of the summer a number of the people who were going to be presenting at the symposium. So let me just start by saying that if you were not able to attend or if you were there and you would like to get a refresher on some of the things that were discussed, please go to www.mythinthemojave.com and listen to the archived programs there. You can go and dip into this topic from a variety of perspectives, from dream to the science behind scientific investigation of uh, children who have memories of past lives. So anyway, there was a lot going on there, and I did a little presentation on Mythic Coyote. I brought Coyote into the mix. And today what I'd like to do is share with you just a little bit of what I've put together and my thinking about synchronicity and Mythic Coyote. Synchronicity which is a term that we got from C.G. Jung, and it means meaningful coincidence. It describes the interrelationship between psyche and matter. And this is something that we know happens. We all experience it. It suggests then that there may be a kind of consciousness, cosmic kind of consciousness that is holding all of this, <laughs> everything that we can see and not see, together. Now, I want to suggest that our experience of synchronicity belongs to the mythic dimension of our lives, because the mythic dimension is where matter and psyche, the visible and the invisible, or what we typically call inner and outer realities meet, reflect, shape each other, create, and converse. What we call mythology, quote-unquote, is the narrative and artistic form that we've given to our experience of this exchange. Now, I want to build on that by saying that our conscious engagement then with the phenomenon of synchronicity is an act of imagination. I noticed at the conference, and I pointed this out um, to people there, that when we talk about matter and psyche, we create this dualism, this twosome. But there is a third, what Henry Corbin called the imaginalis, and what many others, um, James Hillman, for example, have called soul. The imagination, that imaginative capacity to see through the literal, to create meaning, and to assign value to things. Imagination is the mediator, the bridge, the connection between 
psyche and matter, inner and outer, as we human beings perceive it. This is where we make or find meaning. And that is where an event makes the transition then from chance to synchronicity, i.e. meaningful coincidence. Now, there are lots of reasons to object to the reductionist view of a strictly material universe, which has been the dominant paradigm in Western culture for a couple of centuries now. I mean, it's flat out wrong. It leaves out so much of our experience, the experience of synchronicity, for example, and leads us to, I think, a place of of asking the wrong questions about the nature of the cosmos and the reality that we're in. It's also an attack against the imagination. And this is very serious because imagination is where we encounter meaning. It's also where possibilities and visions reside. And... It is our doorway into the mythic, which includes, as I've said, the synchronistic. I really don't think that we can arrive at a full and accurate understanding of the cosmos without relying on our imaginative capacities. Now, at various points, I've referred to this exchange as a dialogue or a conversation, and that seems like a fitting metaphor for the continuous flow of information and energy and feeling that takes place between the visible and the invisible realms. So if we consider how do we consciously engage with and explore this phenomenon of synchronicity, you know, if, if our task here is to broaden our understanding of that relationship and therefore then the nature of the reality that we're in, how do we consciously engage with it? Well, to me, I imagine this as joining a conversation. And then how do you do that? I mean, the invisible abstract quality of synchronicity is a bit of a challenge, You know it when it happens, but otherwise it's really rather hard to grasp. It's just this idea. But we can do what people have done for centuries, which is to find form, give form, and character to this phenomenon. We can make an image. We can imagine a conversation partner. So how might we imagine an event without a cause? How might we imagine the paradoxical union of the random and the meaningful? Well, synchronicity is not new. People have understood that there was this ongoing conversation since the beginning of of human beings, as far as we can tell. So we can find it in mythology. And in the mythic dimension, we might call synchronicity opportunity. And we might say that someone who notices and uses and harmonizes with the power of synchronicity is a person who has smart luck. And in the realm of opportunity and smart luck, then, well, this leads us to a character, and I do mean that in every sense of the word, called the trickster. 
and here in the Mojave, Trickster is Coyote. The Chemehuevis, who are native peoples who live east of here along the Colorado River, called him Mythic Coyote. Now, according to the Chemehuevis, Coyote has been here since the very beginning. He was made, not born. They say that Ocean Woman, in the form of a worm, dropped down from the sky onto the water, and there wasn't any land anywhere. So she crumpled up a little bit of earth and dumped it onto the water, and it it floated. Because she was a worm then, she crawled out onto it, and she started spreading the earth with her hands. And when it was getting too wide for her to reach with her hands, she started spreading it with her feet. Then she made coyote out of the sweat and the dirt from her crotch. And she told coyote to go out and walk around on the earth to see how wide it was getting. And he went out to look in all directions. When it took him all day to go and return across the earth, he told Ocean Woman that it was big enough. Then Ocean Woman made Wolf and also Mountain Lion. And these three, Coyote, Wolf, and Mountain Lion, were brothers. Wolf was made the oldest brother. And Coyote, even though he'd technically been made first, was made the youngest brother. Wolf was made the oldest brother because he was sensible and wise, and Coyote was made the youngest brother because they say he had no sense. Now, I love this. The Chemehuevi say, Had mankind chosen to follow Wolf, men would be as gods, but we followed Coyote. So this is a very interesting predicament, wouldn't you say? I mean, Coyote is, I'm saying, uh, a good face or conversation figure for engaging with this concept of synchronicity, and he also happens to be um, a mythological figure that's very closely associated with us. So I'm going to tell you a story here in just a minute, the story of Coyote and Buffalo Bull, which will illustrate, I hope, some of what I'm getting at here. And I'd like to invite you to imagine Coyote in two ways. To imagine Coyote as the embodiment or the image or a metaphor for synchronicity, the phenomenon of synchronicity. And also Coyote as the subject of synchronistic events, who's on the receiving end of it, just like we are, and is thus a model or a teacher for us for better or for worse. Now, the story of Coyote and Buffalo Bull belongs to the Colville people, and I want to thank Barry Lopez for his book and his version of it, In Giving Birth to Thunder, which is where my what my paraphrase here has evolved out of. So I invite you to relax and enter story time, Let go of any straining to try and understand this. 
Note the moment or the detail in the story that grabs you, as this is a good clue to where you are in the story right now. Coyote and Buffalo Bull Coyote was traveling over the plains. He crossed the mountains and came down into the prairies, and there he found the skull of Buffalo Bull. Coyote was afraid of Buffalo Bull, but he played with the skull anyway. He kicked it around like a soccer ball, he rolled it in the dust, he spit in the eye sockets, and when he'd finally had enough fun, he turned to go, and he heard a loud sound. It sounded like thunder. And Coyote looked up into the sky, but the sky was completely clear. And then he heard it again, and the sound got louder. Coyote turned around, and he saw Buffalo Bull charging after him. Coyote started running around and around and around as fast as he could in the tall grass, but Buffalo Bull was right behind him, and he could feel the buffalo's hot breath on his tail, and he could feel the ground shaking under the buffalo's mighty hooves, and he was afraid, and so Coyote called on his power for help. And suddenly, three trees sprung up. And Coyote, quick as a wink, jumped into the branches of the first one. And he climbed up to the top. Well, Buffalo Bull came up to that tree, and he started hacking at the trunk with his horns and pushing on it and pushing on it. And just as the tree was about to give way, Coyote, quick, jumped into the second tree. Well, but Buffalo Bull went at the trunk of that one with his horns again and started pushing, and he made very short work of it. And so Coyote quick jumped into the third and final tree. And Buffalo Bull started hacking away at that one. And Coyote looked down at him and said, My friend, brother, please, you must let me smoke my pipe one more time before you kill me. Buffalo Bull stopped and looked up at Coyote. Okay, he said, that's a fitting death for a warrior. Coyote loaded up his pipe and he took a few puffs and then he offered the pipe to Buffalo Bull. But Buffalo Bull said, I won't smoke with you, Coyote. You trampled my bones. Coyote looked down at Buffalo Bull. My brother, he said, this is no way to act. I see that your horns are dull and cracked. Let me get down and make you a new pair. So Buffalo Bull let Coyote come down from the tree. And Coyote got out his flint and some pitch wood, and he made a beautiful set of horns for the buffalo. Heavy and smooth and black and very sharp. And he gave them to Buffalo Bull, and Buffalo Bull put them on, and he was so delighted that he forgot about Coyote and the trampled bones. He went out to Younger Bull and killed him. Younger Bull had stolen all of his cows, but now Buffalo Bull got them back. Buffalo Bull was so pleased with his new horns that he decided to give Coyote one of his cows. You must never kill this cow, 
said Buffalo Bull. When you're hungry, cut off a little piece of her fat with your knife. Rub the wound with ashes and it will heal. Do this and you will always have food. So Coyote took the little cow and he headed back across the prairie towards the mountains on his way home. And for a while, he did exactly as Buffalo Bull instructed. He cut off a little piece of fat whenever he was hungry, and he rubbed the wound with ashes, and it healed. But as they traveled on, Coyote started to get a little bit tired of the fat. He wanted a piece of fresh liver and maybe some bone marrow. They crossed the mountains, and they arrived back on the plains. And Coyote thought to himself, Hmm, you know, what Buffalo Bull said only counts in his country. I am chief here. There won't be a problem. He led the little cow to a creek and some sweet grass. You look footsore, he told her. Why don't you eat and rest? And when the little cow was resting, Coyote came up suddenly and killed her. He pulled off her hide. And as soon as he did, a huge crowd of crows and magpies descended and started eating her. And Coyote frantically ran around and tried to drive them off. But more and more and more crows and magpies came and they picked and picked and picked at the little cow until there was no meat left. Coyote had only a carcass. Well, he thought, I still have the bone marrow. He got out his cooking pot and started to build a fire. Just then an old woman came by. Coyote, she said, what are you doing? Why, that's woman's work. Let me cook those bones for you. Now, Coyote really liked this woman's attitude. So he curled up in the grass and went to sleep and left her to make the soup. When he woke up, he saw the woman running away, far off over the hill with the marrow and the grease. Coyote chased her, but he couldn't catch her. She had a big head start. Now Coyote went back to his fire and the dwindling remains of the little cow. There were a few bones left on the ground. At least I can boil these bones up for soup, he thought. But when he picked up the bones, they turned into sticks. No soup. Coyote was hungry. There's only one thing left to do, he decided. It's obvious. I'm going to have to go back to Buffalo Bull and ask him for another cow. He crossed back over the mountains, and he went back down to the prairie, and there he found Buffalo Bull with his cows. When he came up to the herd, he saw that the little cow he had killed was among them. 
Well, Coyote went right up to her and apologized for killing her. And he swore that he would never do it again. It was just a little misunderstanding. And he, well, maybe kind of got ahead of himself. And please, oh, please, oh, please, oh, please, oh. But she would not go with him again. And Buffalo Bull wouldn't give him another cow either. Coyote went back across the prairie and over the mountain to his home on the plains. When he got back, he discovered that everyone else had moved. They had all heard what he'd done, and they didn't want to be in the same place with him. And that's all we'll say today about that adventure. Coyote and Buffalo Bull Now, you might be asking yourself, where is the synchronicity? Well, this whole story is about synchronicity. You could say that it starts with finding the skull. There is an opening. Now, Coyote turns it into a toy. He assigns it that meaning, but it's much more than that, obviously. And I want to note that what follows the whole story is a marvelous illustration of reciprocity, of the dialogue, of the give and the take between beings and between the spiritual and the material planes. Now, the story tells us something important about Coyote that I want to pause on for a moment. It says, it starts off, Coyote was going there. And a lot of Coyote stories begin in that way. Coyote was going there. Coyote was walking. Coyote just happened to be, because Coyote, from the very beginning, ever since Ocean Woman sent him around to go and check out the width of the earth, Coyote's been an aimless wanderer. He's just out walking without a particular plan or destination. Now, he wants certain things. He's always hungry. You know, he wants to eat, or he wants to get laid, or he wants to satisfy his curiosity, He likes to stir up trouble, but he doesn't have a plan. He's just out there. And that aimlessness, I would like to suggest, is part of what connects him to the phenomenon of synchronicity. From our perspective, it's aimless. And also um, tells us something maybe about how to engage with the concept of synchronicity. I found this really cool quote uh, on this subject by John Cage, the composer who made music from silence. There's a coyote for you. And he said, you know, it's when we let go of our plans and intentions that we realize that the world is a magical place. The less we try to control things, the more um, circumstance comes to inform us, and the more opportunities present themselves. Now, at the beginning of this, I said, let's consider coyote and synchronicity from two different perspectives. One of them was, let's look at coyote as the phenomenon of synchronicity. Well, we can look at that from the perspective of buffalo bull. Buffalo bull is a skull until coyote comes along. And then there's this unexpected and unappreciated desecration of his bones. 
the playful breaking of the rules of spiritual respect and observance elicits a response. And that response reveals the connection between the visible and the invisible. This sacrilege, paradoxically, brings Buffalo Bull back to life. Life and death are connected. And we've got someone or something here in the form of coyote that embodies paradox and dances with the paradox. What is the nature of the connection between life and death? Well, there's endless ways to elaborate that, but at its heart, there's something mysterious about both. And we don't really know, do we, exactly where one begins and one ends. This is where we get off into the interesting possibilities raised by uh, synchronicity and a conscious cosmos. Anyway, from the perspective of Buffalo Bull, Coyote comes along. It's something that happens, that brings life to his situation, certainly creates opportunity for him (laughs) because he comes back to life and he gets all his cows back. Uh, And is an illustration of paradox. Now, the second way I I suggested we could look at this was Coyote as a figure like us who experiences synchronicity in his life. And again, everything that happens in one way or another is synchronistic. There's an unplanned unfolding that has meaning to it. It's, It's in the story that we've gotten. And we note all of his improvisation. You know, he calls on his power, the smoking of the pipe, making the horns... Again, you see this tremendous understanding of reciprocity and Coyote's cleverness. He rolls with it. Things happen, he rolls with it. He responds to what's there. But ultimately, his gluttony gets the better of him, as it usually does. And we are returned to a world of order and rules and limits that must be respected. Everybody finds out what he did that he broke the rules, that he trespassed against the gift, and it was taken away, it was lost, and they don't want to be around him. So we've got limits that have to be respected. And this order, the pattern and the weave, if you will, is the backdrop of our lives. We live in a conscious order with the eruptions of the disruptive, the chaotic, the new thing that comes in, the random. So we have the maintenance of order and the recognition of that disruptive influence and the recognition that it's that disruptive influence, coyote, the synchronistic, that is keeping the whole thing alive, that gives it its dynamism and its creativity. That's part of the mystery. This dance between order and necessary form and the disruptive, the random, the aimless wandering that brings life into it, keeps it from becoming just a dead, static shell. Now, in particular cultures or times, there is a need to emphasize one aspect or the other. 
the chance and the disruption and the chaos as we experience it, or the order. I think our current task is imagining our way into conscious conversation with the disruptive and the chaotic. I think this is where we have the possibility to get out of that reductionist box of scientific materialism. But the message in this story about limits and reciprocity is also so important to curb the excesses of our society, the excessive consumption, the egoism, and the entitlement. Well, there's much, much, much more here to talk about than we have time for. So I'll leave you with those thoughts, and I hope you enjoyed the story. That's it for me, Catherine Savela, and Myth in the Mojave for this week. If you have questions about today's program or mythology in general, you can find Myth in the Mojave on Facebook. You can also contact me through my website, mythicmojo.com. I want to remind you that Radio Free Joshua Tree and Myth in the Mojave are made possible by generous donations from Mojave, Mojave Wi-Fi, Joshua Tree's Ice Cream, Pappy and Harriet's, Petersburg Realty, and listeners like you. Please go to our website, click on the donate button, and send a few dollars our way. It'd be very, very much appreciated. Special thanks to Travis Rosenberg for my theme music and to you for listening. Please tune in next week. And in the meantime, happy myth-making and keep the mystery in your life alive.